Well, folks, let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And the the parable of the, the shrewd manager. I don't know about you, I wonder if you've seen some of those videos on the internet or maybe documentaries on television where you see somebody, uh, maybe somebody somewhere primitive or on a desert island or in the jungle and they, they make something with the, the barest of utensils, something really impressive. I remember watching a video once of somebody building a swimming pool and they started out with simply a wooden stick and uh, uh, an axe of some description uh, that they used to sharpen a point on the stick and they used it to start to excavate the ground and over days and weeks they built this incredible uh, swimming pool um, for themselves and they used all sorts of fancy uh, bamboo uh, to, to channel the water to uh, and from uh, this this pool that they had built for themselves. It really was quite astonishing to see what they had been able to build with so little. Or maybe you've seen a documentary about somebody starting penniless and rising uh, to become uh, a really prosperous businessman. I remember reading the biography, uh, I think it was of a man called Bill Cullen uh, in Ireland, who started off selling uh, apples uh, at a fruit stall and rose to 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 own a massive car franchise spread across the the land. Or maybe a different kind of character who does something with very little and we see his shrewdness, his sharpness, his creativity. But he's a bit of a rogue. Perhaps you saw the film Catch Me If You Can, the story of Frank Abagnale, a con man who conned his way into all sorts of positions, uh, whether it was as a pilot of a jumbo jet, uh, travelling all over the world for free, uh, whether it was uh, as a doctor, uh, carrying out all sorts of uh, procedures and making loads of money. He he was eventually caught, or whether it was passing off uh, fake checks uh, and uh, scamming banks out of millions. I remember watching the film and reading the book and being amazed at his brilliance. It was a begrudging amazement for it was utterly wrong what he was doing, but he was ingenious in what he did. And that sort of begrudging admiration that we have at somebody like Frank Abagnale or that amazement at the shrewdness and the savvy and the ingenuity of somebody who builds something out of nothing uh, kind of gets a little bit at what this parable is doing. Jesus tells us a parable and it has a rogue as its main character. And what is Jesus doing? Is he praising roguery and telling us that we should be the sort of underhand character that this man was? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, It's it's like one of those parables that we looked at before where there is the, the unjust judge who eventually gives justice. And Jesus is saying there, well, how much more will the just judge give justice to his people whom he loves 
and he'll do it at precisely the right time. How much more will he provide an answer? Or the story of the friend at midnight who eventually gave in to the request for food. How much more will our Father in heaven answer the prayers of his people and give what is right? Jesus wasn't saying that God is an unjust judge. He wasn't saying that God is a curmudgeonly friend who eventually gives in. He was saying if these people did it, how much more will God answer our needs? Well, here we have that same sort of how much more. Except it's not about God this time, it's about us. If this sort of ingenuity and this sort of uh, roguish brilliance is displayed by the people of this world, how much more should God's people have ingenuity and creativity and use what God has given them? That's what this parable is getting at. And so there's three things I want us to see this morning as we look at it. First of all, the point that really underlies the parable, and that's this, we are all stewards. We're all stewards. The central figure in the parable is a steward, except he's forgotten that. He's been living it up at someone else's expense. He's had a cushy life or has built for himself a cushy life thus far. And we can tell it's cushy because he's horrified at the thought of digging. He looks at his lovely soft hands, perhaps at his manicured nails. He looks at his uh, designer outfit, his fine silks and lovely purple gowns, the Armani clothes of the day. Uh, And he, he looks at himself and says, Oh no, I'm not for digging. And he looks at his, uh, his, his fine outfits and he says, Well, dressed like this, I wouldn't be seen dead begging. Begging? No way will I be caught doing that. And so we know he's been living a cushy life. But the problem is, it's been with somebody else's money. And now the master has caught wind of this lifestyle, heard rumours around the town. And he calls his man in and he demands the books. He says you will not be master anymore or steward anymore. You must give an account. And the steward is confronted with the fact that he is only a steward. He has had access to an immense amount but he owned none of it. He had control over a lot but it was somebody else's. He himself actually had nothing. And he lived in a nice house, but it was given to him by his master. It was his master's house. And Jesus pushes this point home to his disciples. If you look particularly at verse 11 and 12, he says, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now then he says something in parallel to that. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Do you see what he's saying? Worldly wealth, the stuff that we have here, is actually someone else's property. It's not our own. We 
are stewards, just like this man. We need to remember that, that all we've got, that all we are, is that we are stewards. Let it sink in. It's not your house. It's not your job. It's not your finances. It's not your family. It's not your life. It's not your health. It's not your abilities. It's not your day. It's not your month. It's not your year that belongs to you. All these have been given to you. You know, it's so easy to take what has been loaned to us and to forget that it's on loan and to make it ours. Um, Reverend Tim Donaghy lent me hundreds of his books when he went off to Peru as a missionary. And over the years, those books were on my shelves and I used them. And it would have been easy to forget that they were somebody else's <laughs> and to underline them or to make notes in them. Uh, thankfully, I kept in mind that I was only a steward and uh, didn't, uh, didn't mark Tim's books because the day came when I got a phone call and Tim said, Hello, Mark. I'm back home from Peru. I would like to come and collect my books. And suddenly my shelves were a lot emptier than they had been. I was only a steward. And we need to remember this. You need to remember it this morning too, that we are stewards of our lives. And what is it God expects? God expects us to serve him, to live for him. Now that might seem unreasonable. Somebody might say, well, look, it's my life. I can do with it what I want. But it's entirely reasonable. He made us and we are his. Psalm 100 tells us. He made us and we are his. And he expects relationship. He made us to relate to him, made us in his image. And he brings us life for a purpose. He brings blessings to us for a purpose. And so let me ask you this morning, are you living as his steward? Are you, have you remembered that you're a steward or have you moved in and, and settled in in your life and think, what will I do with my life and what will I do with my money and what will I do with my property? Easy to forget. And if you're not yet a Christian this morning, that's something you particularly need to remember, that you are a steward. And one day the master will appear and verse 1 will be, will be given to you. The master will accuse you of wasting his possessions. He will summon you and say, now what verse 2 says, give an account of your management. Give an account of your management. So how will you give an account of the life God has given to you the 70 plus years? 70 years is something like 26,000 days, which is something like uh, 625,000 hours give or take a few thousand. How will we give account for that? Particularly if in none of it you have acknowledged that you're a steward and that God is your master. See, if that's your position, you need to remember you're a steward. And those of us who are Christians, we too need to remember that we are stewards and only stewards of all that has been given to us. And we'll see how that plays out now. What is required of a steward? Well, Jesus calls his disciples here to invest wisely. 
stewards are to invest wisely. And we're going to dive into the parable a little bit more at this stage. Here's the point of the parable. Here's the steward. And the first thing that we see about wise investments are wise stewards get ready for the future. That's the point of the parable. The owner nabs this steward. Um, And in the remaining hours that this man has, he calls in the debtors. He looks at the set of books in front of him and he sees various people that owe his master money and he thinks, in the time left to me, what can I do to prepare for my future? And so he calls in the debtors. And what he does is utterly dishonest. Jesus calls him dishonest. Some preachers try to make it all make make it out that this man is is cutting off his own uh, the, the the money that he would have made on the deal, and that he's making the books right again. I don't think that's the case. He's described as dishonest, and he he calls in the debtors, and, and the first one is uh, his debt of. Um, 300, or sorry, 800 gallons of olive oil uh, is, is cut in half. And that's about 500 denarius, or denarii, that he saves. Uh, the other man, his uh, amount of wheat that he owes is reduced by a fifth. And that's about 500 denarii as well. Now that's a lot of money. A denarius was a day's wage, so 500 denarii is the guts of two years salary. So we're talking here some in the region maybe 70,000 euro that he wipes off his master's uh, accounts. But he does it in his master's accounts and then he tells the debtor, he says, you go and you write that down too. Write down that you only owed such and such. And so when the master calls for the books, the, the one set of books and the, the, the debtor's books as well, the debtor's record, both match. And whenever the steward hands over the books and the master does his accounting, he can't see where the discrepancy is anymore. And so he begrudgingly admires the steward and says, that was a fast one you pulled. You got away with that. But what's the steward done? And here's what Jesus is saying to us. He's prepared for the future. A wise steward prepares for the future and that's what he has done here he's planned ahead he's realized that he needs to get ready for what comes next and that's what we are to do we are to get ready for what comes next this life is a stepping stone this life in many ways is a test how will we relate to our master will we plunge deep into debt by spending our master's resources, the debt of sin? Will we plunge deeper and deeper into it? Or will we turn to our master and serve our master with all we've got? It's not that our serving of our master wins salvation for us. That's not possible. The debt is too big in that regard. We actually need the master to come to us And to, in a sense, put a twist on the parable, what Jesus does is the master comes to us, the stewards, and offers to wipe the slate clean and says, I know all about 
You're roguing. I know all about how you've lived for yourself. I will cancel your debt. And so this morning, if you haven't yet put your trust in Christ, you need to come to the master and say, would you cancel my debts? Would you clear them for me? All of those years, all of those days, all of those hours and minutes and seconds that I've ignored you and done my own thing, will you clear my debt? Astonishingly, that's because you need to plan for your future. Those of us who are Christians, we need to be astonished at the master who would go to the cross to pay the debt of his servants, his slaves. And we need to fall on our knees and bow down and worship as we sang from Psalm 95. Worship this God, this maker, who would clear the debts of his servants. We are all stewards and wise stewards invest in the future. But then secondly, thinking about being a wise steward, wise stewards invest their resources in God's kingdom. Wise stewards invest their resources in God's kingdom. The steward. And here's what Jesus is pointing out in the parable. You can imagine the disciples and the crowd around having this almost begrudging admiration. They they probably all know somebody like this. Somebody who pulls a fast one and uses their ingenuity and their brains and their what the resources limited and all as they've got to do something spectacular and Jesus says to his disciples his followers look if the children of the world put their borrowed resources to such great effect how much more should the children of the light put their resources to something that lasts forever and ever and ever. If this man did it so that he would have friends on earth, how much more should we do it to store up treasure in heaven? And so here's a call to invest wisely, even creatively, to invest with hard work and determination, our time, our lives, our days, our resources, our abilities in the work of God's kingdom. We are stewards. It's not our life. It's a life that has been given to us, as it were, to see what we will do with it for God. It's been loaned to us. And I'm really intrigued by verse 11 and verse 12. If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? There's an an offer held out to us there of if we are trustworthy with the stuff that God has loaned to us in this life, that we leave this life without, that is taken away from us again. All the stuff that we have here. If we are trustworthy, God says, then I'll give you stuff. And he describes it in verse 11 as true riches. He says, if you're not trustworthy with worldly wealth, how would anyone give you true riches? What lies ahead for God's people is this offer of true riches, and we'll come to that a little bit more in a moment. But wise, wise stewards invest, not in the stuff of this world, it's worldly wealth it's described as, but in true riches. 
that will come to us. So here's the challenge for us. You know, my mum used to say to me and used to say probably to Joel as well, uh, whenever she would see us playing a game, maybe on the computer, particularly those early computer games that I had, if you would put half as much effort into learning your shorter catechism as you put into that computer game, well, she never actually finished the sentence, but we all know where it was going. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. If we would put half as much effort into our walk with him, our living for him as the people around us put into the things that they do. Think where we might be as Christians. Think where the kingdom of God might be in, in Ireland, in Donegal. You know, Tim Donaghy, who I mentioned a moment ago, uh, told me once about uh, him being a missionary in Peru way back in the 60s, I think it was, uh, way out in the Amazon, in the jungle, and going to tribes that had never met Westerners before and taking the gospel to them. What a courageous thing. What a bold witness. And he told me about kayaking up one of the tributaries of the Amazon uh, and thinking here we are going to this tribe that no one has been before and they went round a bend in the river and there was a huge sign drink Coca-Cola the advertising executives had got there before the gospel something of a rebuke isn't it they had put their ingenuity into getting their advertising to these lost tribes um and Jesus is challenging us here to invest. But I think also there's encouragement for us. For as I think over what I've seen in this congregation, and seen people investing, even their times of illness, and trying to use it as a gospel opportunity, or investing their musical abilities, and using them for gospel opportunities, or investing even COVID lockdown time and making phone calls to people in their friendship groups, People making buns and, and delivering them at a distance to their neighbours or to, 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 to random strangers. People spending time in prayer. People giving out leaflets or books to others. There's been an investing. And I want you to hear your master's commendation in this parable. And although there may have been little fruit seen of it, your master would say to you this morning, keep doing it. Keep investing in my kingdom. Keep thinking creatively. Keep persevering in this. What you're doing is the work of the kingdom. So let's be encouraged by it, but let's also be challenged and, and, and perhaps rebuked if need be. Think of sometimes the amount of time that we could put into, whether it's, in my case, swimming, uh, bodily exercise, or to a hobby or to a pursuit if we put a similar amount of time into our walk with God, how much stronger we would be as Christians. If we put a similar amount of time into uh, our walk with God and into our outreach or into prayer, how different things might be. So here's a challenge as well as an encouragement to keep investing in God's kingdom. Maybe Maybe if a second lockdown comes and we're wondering what we can do, let's think about how we can creatively reach 
people who are locked down around us. Let's think about how we can pray for the people uh, amongst us, the people in our family circles. If we've got downtime, let's seek to use it to grow in our faith. Let's seek to develop our prayer life. Let's be wise stewards of what God has given. Then the third principle of wise stewardship is don't split your investment. Don't split your investment. You see when Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. Then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. What he's saying here is don't split your investment. Don't hedge your bets. Don't be serving God and your bank account. Jesus could have given many examples. He picks the one that's going to sting the Pharisees. We find out in the next verse, they love money. But he could have said anything. You can't serve both God and yourself. You can't serve both God and your work. You can't serve both God and reputation. You can't serve both God and relationship. You can't serve both God and family. You can't sit on the fence is what he's saying. Now that's not to say that we should ignore family. It's not to say that we should ignore people. It's not to say that we should be bad at our job. But there's a difference between doing a thing and serving a thing where it gets our affection, our attention, our greatest resources and input. And wise stewards give themselves to God, to putting him first. So why is it we are all stewards? Stewards are to invest wisely. And then thirdly, stewards, wise stewards, will be richly rewarded. Look at what Jesus says here in uh, verses uh, 10, uh, well, even verse 9, 10, 11, and 12. There's a promise of rich reward. Look at verse 9 to start with. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. To me, the image here is of whenever we leave this world and we find ourselves entering into glory, that there are people coming to greet us, people who have gone ahead of us and who say, welcome, welcome. And we look at them and say, well, but why are you welcoming me? And they say, well, I'm here because of what you did. You prayed for persecuted Christians in Pakistan or Nigeria. You helped take the gospel uh, to Ethiopia. You funded the Bible being translated into my language and tribal dialect. And I became a Christian through that. You gave of your time and your money and your prayer. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. But it may even be more than that. Consider that whenever Christ returns and everything is made new, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Could it possibly be that in the new heavens and the new earth, the believer will be walking down a street and a door will be flung open and somebody shouts, Hello! Hello! Esther! Or Martin! Or or Ivan! Or whoever! Hello! Joyce! Marion! Whoever! And we look at it and say, what are you doing here? And they say, well, because you prayed for my grandfather 
The gospel came to my family because you were faithful in living in Donegal. The gospel came to, to me on down the line. Or after you passed away, I became a Christian. And they, they say, come in and sit down and let me tell you the story. And we are welcomed into eternal dwellings. They say, come and let me tell you what God did for me. And not just for me, but for my descendants after me. Look at them all here. You played a part in this. What an astonishing thing it will be in eternity to trace the impact of our lives. What a reward it will be. But more than that, Jesus says here in verses 10, 11 and 12, he speaks of riches, property of our own. And he, he, he speaks in verse 10 about those who have had little. Now we may feel that we've had little in this world. We might hear stories of John Lang, the, the owner of Lang Construction, who set up trust funds and gave millions to the work of the gospel. Or we might hear of the missionaries like Jim Elliot, who said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Going to the Amazon and going to Ecuador and, and laying down his life for the gospel. And we might think, well, I, I'm not able to do that. They gave a lot. But Jesus speaks here of those who are trustworthy, even if they've only got a little. And they are promised much. You see, it's not how much we've got. It's what our heart is. Are we faithful stewards of our Saviour? And if we have been faithful with the little, maybe it's a little time and we use it to pray. Maybe it's a little money, but we give it. Maybe it's a little connectedness in our community, but we use it for the gospel. Our Saviour says, I didn't miss it. I saw it. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little. Now you will be entrusted with much. This fits in with many of the other parables that we've looked at. The parable of the talents, where those who were faithful received great reward in the kingdom to come. And so here's encouragement for us. Encouragement uh, that whatever we've got, our Saviour will see how we use it. And he is no man's debtor. He will reward us. So here's great encouragement to be stewards. It might seem to the person who isn't a Christian, what a ridiculous request to live the one life I've got for an unseen God. But that unseen God says, I see everything. And I will reward you with something that this world couldn't even begin to measure how rich it is. The thing that I will give you and the blessings I will bring to you in the world to come. No man's debtor. Jesus says anyone who forsakes family and friends and fields and property for his sake and for the gospel will not fail to be rewarded with a hundred times as much in this world and more in the world to come. What a saviour we have. Just this week I, I, I read a quote and I haven't got it with me but it was from an old writer Thomas Boston and he said, Something like this, that a man on a journey doesn't worry too much about the quality of the inn that he is staying in if he knows that he is going to receive a mansion at the end of his journey. And so for us, 
we may only have a little. And we might fixate on that little. That's what the world would have us do. But our Saviour says, forget about the little. Use it to serve me. Because what I have in store for you far outweighs everything else. So the question for us as stewards is, are we investing wisely? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that you would help us to invest wisely. Father, I pray for any who listen who do not yet know you as their saviour. I pray that they would see the reality this morning that they are stewards and that they need to invest their lives in Christ Jesus, the one who went to the cross so that they could have eternal life. Father, I pray for those of us who know Christ, that we would be encouraged this morning for our Saviour has seen what has been done by this little congregation with the little that they have. He's seen it. But Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to do more, to invest more in our Saviour's kingdom so that we will see him working in greater ways, so that we'll be thrilled and delighted whenever we come into his heavenly glory. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.